Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome in to the Thursday, May the 31st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, media availability at OTA's Week 2 edition. We'll get you caught up on the happenings around the practice field, and we'll go back to the podium to hear Devon Godshaw and Kiko Alonso talk. Also, has the coaching staff recognized errors from years past? And we'll finish it up with the Twitter mailbag. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review there. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL, and you can follow the show at LockedOnFins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have plenty of daily written content for you guys up there, including a piece on Jesse Davis right now and back into the Ryan Tannehill charting mix week seven up live right now up there. And you can find the podcast there too as well. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins. So today was the open availability for the media at OTAs, and there were some practice reports coming through, mostly stuff about kickers making field goals or not making field goals. There was some stuff about red zone drills and who was catching touchdown passes. They mentioned Danny Amendola, Mike Gusecki, and I believe it was Frank Gore catching passes from Ryan Tannehill for touchdowns. But these things can be so convoluted because I saw so many tweets about Ryan Tannehill throwing touchdown passes all day. But I also saw a tweet from Adam Beasley mentioning that Ryan Tannehill looked shaky, there was no rhythm, and he had a couple of interceptions. Now, whether or not that was a full practice segment or it was just walkthroughs or whatever it was, you never really can grade those to the fullest. And I know this sounds convenient for my narrative or whatever you want to call it about Ryan Tannehill, the one that I've been pushing since basically he showed improvement in 2013, 2014 after his rookie season. But I I just don't always trust these beat guys when it comes to watching the practice because I've been to my fair share of WSU or Seattle Seahawks training camps out here in the Pacific Northwest, and there is a lot going on, especially when you're on individual drills. There is so much going on, and if you don't really know what you're looking for in a practice, you're not going to give a good report or a good account of it. So it's very tough to keep up on what's going on, and it leads to the takes like talking about Legadu Nane or Corey Sheets as being predicted as breakout stars. Hey, Omar Kelly, what's up? So it just... Whether or not you want to put a lot of stock into these reports, we're going to get it during training camp as well. There's going to be reports about the offense being too slow, the defense dominating them early on. You're going to hear all the reports we hear every single year. And what does it really mean? Nothing. The good stuff you want to hear right now is positivity in the way the practices are being ran. Possibly attendance is a good one. Leadership is a good one. Just guys being in the in the area, being in the building and feeding off of one another from a rapport standpoint, building that chemistry and getting things built in the right direction. Because like we heard with the Brent Grimes story years and years ago about Ryan Tannehill throwing a practice and a walkthrough or throwing a, an interception in a practice walkthrough. 
those are done at half speed and done in a way that the defense knows exactly what's going on. So an interception there really isn't that important. So take all that stuff with a grain of salt. Like I said, we're going to hear it all throughout training camp, and I'm sure the sky will be falling just like we were all excited about the offense last year after that week three game in the preseason against Philadelphia when the offense was just soaring and throwing deep balls and scoring with pretty much at will against that Eagles defense with Jay Cutler and Devontae Parker leading the charge. So just remember that these events up until the season really don't mean a lot as far as results. You should not be results-based this time of year. You want to go based off of what the process is and how things are progressing. But turning the page on that and basically contradicting myself in one fell swoop here, talking about the impression of Albert Wilson at practice. He appears to be one of the guys that has really made head waves in terms of his his appearance as well as his performance in practice and just the way he kind of moves about he's a quick shaker he can do a lot of different things he's very studious to the game he is a very good leader as well in a new role that he has on the team with an elevated role in the passing game so I've heard a lot of good stuff about Albert Wilson amidst all these crazy reports we hear all day long but nonetheless these these tweets from the beat writers and from the guys that are at practice just take them with a grain of salt because we don't really know exactly what it means and then you go over to the press conference stuff and some of the new coaches we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show and the defensive line coach Chris Kosarek spoke and you can already see his influence on this defensive line group and we'll get into the PCs in the next segment talking about Devon Godshaw as well as Kiko Alonso but Godshaw talked about how they want to be playing this rotation with 8 to 10 guys in a fresh cycle of players and rotating those guys through and keeping everybody fresh and ready to go through the course of the whole game. And Chris Kusarek talked about it directly and he his desire to play with his hair on fire and his players to play with their hair on fire. And that message really permeates throughout when he speaks to the media or in public. So it's good to see them on the right note there. We'll talk more about some coaching upgrades and how things can be different in that regard in the next segment in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. Cranking up segment number two in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast where we have absolutely zero burner accounts. You can follow me at Wingfield NFL on Twitter and the show at Lockdown Fins operated by me and me only on my account. And then the other one has a manager as well as myself operating the Lockdown Dolphins account. So check those ones out. And that news about the GM from the Philadelphia 76ers coming out yesterday and the fact that he was trashing his players in the media on Twitter and trashing the GM before him, all that stuff. Really good stuff if you haven't read it yet. Pretty crazy story, pretty crazy accusations, and pretty crazy analytics that got them to the point to where they now believe this to be true. So check that story out if you haven't. I'm sure there is plenty of stuff like that in the NFL world that we'll probably find out more in the next coming weeks or whatever it is. I'm sure he won't be the first one to take a fall like that. So exciting times in the Twitterverse. That's how we all kind of communicate these days. But going back to the way they communicate through practice and through the old school media with the pressers, Devon Godshaw took to the podium first. And like I talked about in the previous segment, he talks, he calls him Coach Chris, the new defensive line coach coming over from Detroit, who had coached Ndamukong and Sue before he got here. And then now he coaches the Dolphins defensive line. But he talked about Coach Chris and how he motivates guys, how he wants players to play aggressive and just push you for that extra edge. Because all these guys, they know their limits, they know their breaking points. And when they start to kind of slow down, and the coach's job is to push them beyond that and get more out of them. It's just like when you go to the gym and you do a rep, let's say it's bench press, the most common lift everyone here probably does when they go to the gym if you get to that last rep and you push through the one that you didn't think you could do with a spotter basically is the only way you can gain strength and gain growth in that way and that's kind of how a coach would do it so you're on that 12th rep you're down at your chest and you try to push it up and you stop your momentum and that little nudge that the spot 
water gives you can push you over the top to get that extra rep and really allow you to grow your muscles. And in this case, grow your football game and your skill set, your practice habits, all that stuff. So that's kind of what he talked about with Chris, Chris Kosarek. And then they talked about Ndamukong and Sue, and Godshot was very praising of Sue, calling him a great guy. He taught him how to practice, how to stay after practice and work on pass rush drills, how to properly eat. So he really took a lot away from Ndamukong and Sue, said he was basically his understudy for a year and didn't really leave his side. So he learned a lot from him. Sad to see him go, but he is just excited about what they have in this defensive line, that there's high energy about it. And he mentioned two teams specifically. One really stands out to me because it's the same defense they run as they kind of love child, I suppose, of Jim Schwartz in the wide nine defense. So he talked about the Philadelphia Eagles as well as the Jacksonville Jaguars, probably more about their depth and ability to rotate guys through. But he talked a lot about rotating eight to 10 guys through, and it doesn't matter who's in the game. They're all going to play and they're all going to produce. And my favorite comment that he probably made on this presser was talking about how this year is a restart. It's a grind. It's hard. It's not fun to go through, but you have to go through it to get yourself back to where you were in the previous year. And if he rests on this idea that he arrived at the NFL since he started a whole six games last year, that that kind of complacency will kill you in this league. So he is privy to the fact that everyone starts at square one. There's not really such a thing as a veteran in this league once you get back into camp and you have to remake yourself every single year. So sounds like a very smart guy. I wrote a piece on him last year talking about him coming up from Plaquemine, uh, Louisiana, and how he grew up very, very poverty struck and was just a really cool young man, kind of the way he had to get himself through some adversity in his high school days. You can find that on LockedOnDolphins.com. Just search Devon Godshaw for that piece. But Kiko Alonso was the other guy that talked at the press conference conferences today and he talked a little bit about the defensive tackles the first question that is available and you guys can watch his videos on twitter it's on the miami dolphins twitter page the first question they have available on there is talking about the defensive tackles up front and like kiko alonso's press conferences or his media availabilities there's nothing to them for the most part but you can always try to find things between the lines i suppose and that's kind of what i'm doing here as a journalist covering the dolphins and covering this team but he mentioned the defensive tackles with the two rookies from last year he called them and now akeem spence coming over and obviously jordan as he referred to jordan phillips making it easier on the linebackers and he mentioned Quan as the other linebacker. He said, making it easier on me and Quan at linebacker. So obviously, Ray Quan McMillan has earned himself. We, we already knew this, but it's kind of cool to hear it from his his counterpart, or I guess I should say his position mate in Kiko Alonso at linebacker. So both those guys raring to go. But he declined to answer a question regarding an evaluation of his performance last year, and he kind of shook it off in a dismissive manner that I thought was kind of strange. Maybe it points to a distaste for the scheme and the way things were done last year and the things that were asked of him and the next question was why will you be better this year and all he said was because we're working so you can tell he's very trained to not give a lot away in these press conferences probably doesn't really care to give them too much there's just not a lot there with him a lot of you knows and likes and just the the very stuff that you learn the first time you take a speech class in college or whatever it is that you do so not much of a public speaker but the last thing I took away from him was they talked about today's linebackers and how he said it's all about whether or not you can run he even goes down to these high school games or practices and sees these kids that are pretty much yoked up but if you can't run then you can't play and I thought that was kind of interesting because he might have indicted himself in that one note there because we have so many clips and I've tweeted out so many clips of him getting embarrassed by speed both by running backs and by tight ends so Kiko's days who knows what's going down the pipe with this guy I don't have a lot of faith in him anymore but 
you hope that possibly a scheme change or asking him to do fewer things because the idea of having him spot drop 10 to 12 yards, which he did so much last year, and a spot drop is where you have a landmark in zone coverage and you find that spot and then you read and react from there. He was doing that so often, getting out into the flat, just putting him in too much space to where he can't really operate and it really caused him some some bad-looking plays on the defensive side of the football. So hopefully they can get that fixed if they do plan on going forward with him. But these press conferences are getting a little bit less interesting each day. They're filling out new guys every single day. But I think the one thing that permeates throughout all of these PCs is perhaps the improvement of the coaching staff. And it goes back to some of the things I talked about with Kevin Dern on a podcast way back in January, maybe even February, talking about Tony Oden and Ronaldo Hill in the secondary with more dime packages because we got smoked on third and long. We got smoked in the red zone. Getting more defensive backs onto the field could improve that. We go to Eric Stettisville, the running backs coach and running game coordinator and the connection that he has with using multifaceted backs and doing a variety of schemes and looks and running concepts, clearly an improvement over a cocaine addict and Chris Furster before him. And then the stuff we've heard about coach Chris Corset Kusarek, I am not going to get that name right anytime soon, the defensive line coach from the Detroit Lions. So it sounds like they have recognized some mistakes from the year ago and we touched on the continuity of the offensive line yesterday. It just feels like the plan that has been adhered to every step of the way, the plan that I have written about, that I've tweeted about, that I've talked about on the podcast, it's all going in the same direction and the way they're working now is how they'll work in September in regards to the repetitions in practice and the preparation in practice getting ready for regular season games. So the offensive line, there's no jockeying, there's no trying to find out who can play where best, they're trying to play fast. Fast. They're trying to play with tempo. They're rotating these defensive linemen through as well as the wide receivers and creating a system and a scheme that allows them to do the same things in the fall that they're doing right now late in the spring. So I'm excited about that. All along, it has felt like a plan that does not appear to have deviated at all through the first two weeks of OTAs at least. So we've got plenty more on this podcast, including the Twitter mailbag with a big, big list of questions to get to there. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Rolling along on your Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, a couple of announcements for future shows. We are doing guests on Mondays throughout the course of the next three weeks. Of course, following up Jeff Darlington's podcast, which was the highest rated podcast in Locked On Dolphins history. So a big thanks to you guys for that. Next week, we'll have Antoine Staley of USA Today. He covers the team. We'll get some notes from him about OTAs. The following week, I'm really looking forward to this one. Ryan Smith of PFFMiamiProFootballFocus.com. He is a big analytics guy, so I'm very much looking forward to nerding out with him on that podcast. And then welcoming back Henry Hodgson of NFL Media. He is the content page editor on NFL.com. So looking forward to getting him back in here, talking about some dolphins and the national news and the spotlight there. But let's go ahead and jump right into this Twitter mailbag here and get to your guys' questions. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with your questions. I read them on the air and answer them on the air as well. Shout out your Twitter handle. And the first question comes from a good friend of the podcast at NashMax73. He is Thomas. He asks your guests on Ryan Tannehill's stat line for 2018. We've gone over this a little bit, but you got to base it on the averages and kind of where he is. He's about a 7.3 yards per pass guy traditionally. He normally throws in the range of 3.5 to 4.5% touchdown passes and about 2 to 2.5% interceptions. So based on the volume, I think they're going to throw the football this year. I think it's going to be passing all day, every day. And the league leader in passing was right around 600 attempts last year. I could imagine that will be the case for this year. So if you go off 600 passes, that puts him right around 4,400 passing yards. 
in the high 20s for touchdown passes and then somewhere around 10 to 12 interceptions. I think he's going to have his best touchdown interception ratio. I think he's going to complete about 70% of his passes this year just based on the structure of the offense and the fact that he is so clean underneath, doesn't really make a lot of poor throws in the 10 yards and in game. So he's going to have a high completion percentage and definitely have this offense clicking on all cylinders. Next question comes from Oliver Fins Up at OllieCool13. Do you really think about sex more often than football? No, I don't. I'll be honest with you. I'm 30 years old. I'm practically married. So, you know, sex is what it is at these at this point in life. And I just love football so much. So I don't. No, football's number one. Uh, next question comes from Corey Ashburn at Corhey. That's two Ys, 13. What's going on, Corey? You talked about the offense could be a no-name offense and that Tannehill might be might end up being the star if he plays how you envision. If Tannehill does play lights out this year, who do you think will be the biggest beneficiary and might become a star alongside him, if any? My God, that's a great question and one that I got to think about for a second. So I'm going to talk my way through it as I do think. I, I think it'll be... Kenyon Drake, just because of the ability for Tannehill to work off the play pass game and the fact that they want to include the running back in the offense so much. I think of everybody on this offense, Kenyon Drake has shown the most star potential, even though it was a very short time last year. I just think he has a burst and a wiggle and an ability to run through contact that you just don't see from a lot of running backs. And he is a very, very talented young man. And I think the play action game is going to have a big influence on the offense this year, as Ryan Tannehill has been one of the elite passers on play action across the NFL the course of his career. Next question comes from A. Hendricks 4. That's at A. Hendricks IV, as in Roman numerals. Heard anything about the injuries of Tony Lippett or Leonte Carew? I have not. It just seems like Gaze likes to keep these guys out if there's any nick or bruise to them, just as a precaution. So I think the same thing happened with Charles Harris. So I don't expect them to have anything serious going on with them, especially at Lippett coming off of a, a season ending Achilles injury last year. Next question comes from Angel Contreras. That's at A underscore Contreras 88. Why has Leonte Carew failed to meet his draft position? Can he still salvage his time with us. I think this is going to be a cop-out for Guru, but with Adam Gaze running 11 personnel pretty much every single play throughout 2016 and most of 2017 as well, and the fact that there was three receivers that didn't miss a whole lot of time, yeah, Devontae Parker had some injuries here or there, Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills were always available, and he didn't take them off the field hardly ever. They were both 85 to 90% players throughout the course of the season when healthy, so it's hard for him to crack the lineup in that way. He doesn't offer anything different like Jakeem Grant might in terms of a slash player or a gimmick player, so he's not going to get snaps that way. And then obviously he just, he, obviously he's not a good practice player because we saw Rashawn Scott get a spot over him on the active roster at the end of 2016 that really f- just speaks to his lack of practice ability in his rookie year. So we'll see what happens with him. I don't have too high expectations at this point. I hope he can salvage it, but just with the guys in front of him, the five receivers that look pretty good ahead of him, I would say no, he's not going to be able to salvage it. Next question comes from Chris Ballard at the jeweler, J-E-W-E-1-E-R. Who's your bet to be the biggest surprise stud in training camp this year? Who do you see regressing? I think the biggest surprise stud in training camp could be Kalen Balazs because he moves so smoothly and so fluidly. I think that he's going to really take, take the Dolphins coaching staff by surprise how early things click for him. I don't think he's going to get reps early in the season, but I think he's going to earn himself playing time and just look good in camp. Who do I see regressing? I'm just going to take the obvious pick and go with Devontae Parker. I haven't been a fan of his for a long time. He can't stay healthy. He doesn't have the right work habits. I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I'm just going to stick with Devontae Parker and continue to put dirt on his grave. Next question comes from Greg Larson at GSL now. So what do you think it will take to make the national media change how they look at the Dolphins? A 4-0 start with Tannehill leading the league in touchdowns? 
yeah, basically, it's it's too bad. I think you're going to have to get in the playoffs. You're going to have to probably even win a game once you get there. And Ryan Tannehill is going to have to play at a level that gets him into the Pro Bowl because even still, and, and Chris Kaufman had a great tweet about it today talking about that even if Ryan Tannehill does play well or when he does play well because we all are so confident in it, at least those of us that study the game closely, when that happens, people are going to just use the excuse, well, he has a better surrounding cast now. So there's always going to be detractors. You just have to deal with that as part of the job. But I think that he will definitely change some minds this year. Next question comes from Mr. Hartman. That's at WP Hartman. What are your biggest lessons about preseason player evals from things players from things or players you misread last year? And what improvements have you made to be more accurate in your player predictions? I think I had a tendency to kind of be too quick to make snap judgments, which contradicts some of the stuff I talk about with quarterbacks. But Jakeem Grant's a good example, for instance. In his rookie year, so many muff punts, he dropped the one pass they had targeted to him, which was like a little screen flare pass. So I was so down on his rookie year that it made me overlook the talent that I see that I like in him. And I wanted to cut him. And I I really regret saying that and tweeting about it because I I like what he is as a player. So maybe not be so quick to snap judge these guys and give them time to let it play out because the rookie year can be so tough. And we heard Kenyon Drake talk about it on the press conference yesterday in regards to how he wasn't ready to be a professional as rookie year and now look at where he is so just don't be so quick to judge these guys out of the gate next question comes from jd young it's at my fry hole who makes the pro bowl first ryan Tannehill, minka fitzpatrick laramie tunzel or kenny stills i'm going with ryan Tannehill. that's my prediction for the year i think minka fitzpatrick will be there with him as well and then laramie tunzel might even get in too but i'm gonna say ryan Tannehill first because i think it happens this year next question comes from shoogs that's at underscore shoogs underscore what role does analytics play with this front office slash coaching staff? I know they hired a, an analytics department several years ago, and I'm pretty sure they have quite a bit that influences their decisions in terms of just getting an idea of, it's like self-scouting. And the thing I do with Ryan Tannehill charting, finding out which formations they're in, what the set is, what the pre-snap align, all the stuff that goes into that, it can help you get an idea for what your tendencies are. So I know that they're big into that. And it was a big point of contention last year with the non-bye week and how they couldn't really self-scout and make changes that way. So I think there is a big role and they do lean on it quite a bit. Next question comes from Queso Frito Connoisseur. It's at at, uh, JJ Speaks Truth. If Ryan Tannehill has a good year, but we don't reach the playoffs, will there be changes made to the front office? I think there will be a change if they don't make the playoffs. I think that would be Mike Tannenbaum would be my guess. But I think that they're going to give Adam Gaze and Chris Greer another go of it after this year almost regardless of what happens, short of like a 3-13 and disaster. So I think it would be Mike Tannenbaum, if they don't make the playoffs, that gets the axe. Steven Alexander at Stevie Zander asks, chances Carew makes the final 53? It depends on how they're going to construct the roster because he's going to have to be the sixth wide receiver. And there's four tight ends that I think have a chance to make the team, four running backs that have a chance to make the team. The defensive line is going to be super deep. So it just depends if they keep six wide receivers. If they do, it'll be Carew. If not, he will be gone. Next question comes from Mike Bro 21 That's at Mike Broyles2. If Minka is who everyone believes he is, how does TJ McDonald earn that new contract? He won't. He already hasn't. And the contract was terrible to begin with, and it's terrible now. And it was even made worse when they drafted Minka because he just isn't what they needed at the position. He's limited in what he can do in terms of covering deep. He's not great in coverage to begin with. Very good in run support, a decent blitzer, I suppose, but just not a great cover guy. So I don't think he ever will. Next question comes from JW99. That's at 99 underscore the underscore king. 
who is going to be your next interview. That Jeff Darlington interview was great stuff. And again, thank you guys for listening to that podcast and giving it so much love. We have Antoine Staley of USA Today, Ryan Smith of Pro Football Focus, and Henry Hodgson of NFL Media on deck for the next three weeks. So that will uh, wrap up the Twitter mailbag there. Want to give a special shout out to Alex in Toronto. Thanks for listening to the podcast, man, and reading the website. We really, really appreciate that. And another special shout out to GTH on Twitter and Lee Top Landing for the graphics and the functional and formatable tables in the Ryan Tannehill charting projects. They've been an integral part to one of the most popular segments on LockedOnDolphins.com, and that will bleed into the season as well as we do Tannehill Tuesdays, evaluating every play Ryan Tannehill makes throughout the course of the 2018 season. And that will do it for today's podcast. You guys be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. Check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a terrific rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow with another edition of Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Streets of